Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. From Variety, celebrating more than 115 years covering the business of entertainment, this is the Award Circuit Podcast. You know, a few years ago, I, I woke up from a nightmare that I was an aging, you know, character actor waiting for the phone to ring, and I, like, screamed. My, my wife awake. She said, what happened? And I said, I just had the most terrible nightmare. Todd Field began his career as an actor, but when that didn't really pan out, he became a celebrated auteur. I'm Clayton Davis. On this week's episode of the award-winning Variety Award Circuit Podcast... We sit with Todd Field, the writer, director, and producer of Tar, as he discusses working with Kate Blanchett and Nina Haas, discussing some of the film's most burning questions, and how long until we get another feature from him. Later, we chat with actor Jeremy Pope about his new film, The Inspection. But first, the roundtable discusses some of the year's top animated and documentary contenders, with Goodnight Oppie opening this week in theaters, and Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio premiering at AFI Film Fest. It's all next on this edition of the Variety Awards Circuit Podcast. Stay close. It's Michael Schneider back at the roundtable. We took a week off uh, just because things were happening. People were going all sorts of different places. But now we're back and ready to talk all about award season film and a little bit of television as well. Joining me is Janelle Riley, who Good had a morning. kick-ass Halloween costume, I will say it. Thank you. The dog really made it. It was all <laughs> built around... Last year, it was built around my nails for Promising Young Woman. Mm-hmm. This year, it was built all around the dog. Yes. Yes, indeed. We'll tell everyone what... Uh... Oh, I went as the Elvis universe version of Joy from Everything Everywhere All at Once. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny because I actually had a Q&A with Austin Butler for Elvis on Sunday night. And I was telling him, you know, he was talking about how hard it is to wear those jumpsuits. I'm like, yeah, I know because I'm going as Elvis for Halloween. And then I had to explain that it was a very specific Elvis. But yes, but it was my, not him. <laughs> my dog Wilbur, who greatly resembles a pig, was yeah. Joy's pig and he stole the show. I thought that was inspiring. <laughs> Me too. Yes. Oh, that voice. What? You don't Who's even here? go here. A mystery voice. TV person? I'm just, I broke into the podcast studio today. <laughs> I know, TV, it's two and two this week. Know, we're right? uh, We're taking over the film side as well. Emily Longaretta. Hello, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Love She's Julia Louis-Dreyfus of the podcast. <laughs> oh, <laughs> okay. No. She can do both film and TV. It felt like a good uh, I'm good with that compliment. comparison anytime. Sure. Just elevates everything. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Put, keep, put, you keep winning Emmys. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Are you the Michael Richards of the podcast? Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Michael Richards. Hey, I was willing to be Jason Alexander, <laughs> yeah, but... Yeah, yeah but Clayton is terribly racist, <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> well, that makes you Jerry. I, w- I would like to be Jerry, the Jerry. Tony Hale. This is a VP oh, okay. years. We're going, we're going VP years. And I'm yeah. Sam Richardson. Yeah. Yeah. No, Tony Hale. I, I, I like the Tony Hale. Yeah. I just watched... Uh, uh, 
uh, Hocus Pocus 2, and he plays the mayor. Oh, is he in this? He's yes. so adorable and nutty in it. And it yeah. Was so you cute. know my deep, dark secret, right? No. I've never seen the first Hocus Pocus. Oh, my gosh. Oh, wow. Yeah. Everyone has cinematic blind spots. It's, it's okay. become a thing now. Like, yeah. And now you have to wait another year, apparently. You can't watch it after <laughs> November 1st. not allowed to why, watch why, it. Why is that the new strategy, by the way? <laughs> sequel coming out, you can't watch the original. I know. Like, they I just know. rip it off the platform. Well, yeah. I think it's still on the platform, though. Yeah, I think Hocus, definitely still on Disney Plus. Hocus yeah, Pocus Avatar. is around forever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Avatar, you can't. You can't really. It's, it's off. It's not on Disney Plus anymore. Yeah, for some of us, we have the the long DVDs, and, and, and they have the re-release also. Yeah, is it a DVD that you have to play on both sides? <laughs> I I have it's the not, I have the Blu-ray. Not. Remember the VH? I had the VHS yes. Titanic that was two. two. Yeah, two. but I would always only watch the first half because then I didn't want to be depressed the second half. <laughs> I worked at a video store, uh, dating myself here, and I remember when those two box movies oh. would come in. Oh Lord, Paul Thomas Anderson. Oh, yes. That was the first screener I ever got my hands on legally oh <laughs> they, it was, i grew up on the east coast in the streets of yeah. new york the and streets. they someone got a hand on the titanic screener and then they were selling it and i just remember the end of tape one ends with the captain saying like how many people yep. aboard and that's like where it cuts off yep some people there's a whole thing on this american life about people who think the sound of music ends with them getting married and never knew that there was a whole part. They're like what do you mean nazis oh. <laughs> oh my gosh just forgot the whole theme of the movie that's fine <laughs> Maybe they just watched the sanitized version of Sound of Music. The, uh, <laughs> the, the G-rated. The, the TV version or something. As opposed to the director's NC-17 cut? Yes. <laughs> oh, the Snyder th- cut of things, Sound of Music. <laughs> things get blue. Things get raw. <laughs> so, Clayton Davis, did I introduce you? Yeah, he needs I, no introduction, I, quite I, literally. I'm the guy sitting next to you. Yes. Good to yes, see you all. Yes, good, good to see you too. Yeah. So, now we're in November. Happy... It was really long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I was on a cruise for part of September, so it really felt long. Because cruise days. And you're still alive. Yeah, is... yeah. Barely. Well, because I had COVID before I went on the cruise, like right before. So I had cruise immunity. Nice. Nice. I mean, I don't blame her. I don't know I, if I want to go Ever again. since uh, <laughs> the COVID yeah. ship that just stayed for months, she's like, I, she's like, I can never do that. And no, she I cruises. was super hesitant. And there was a part of me that when I got COVID was like, all right, I can cruise. <laughs> like, no, no. But uh, it's glad to have you back. You don't look as tan as I thought you would be. From my cruise? cruise? Yeah. Well, it was a month ago. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um so I uh, reason why we weren't big reason why we weren't uh, together last week is because I was in Savannah, SCAD uh, Film Festival, and did an animation panel there with some of the top animated contenders, and we have some really good animated films this year. And I think we were saying before, I mean, I, every year I always feel that animation really outdoes a lot of the other films, but this year especially, <laughs> that's the case. It's a really mm-hmm. good year for animation. Yeah. So, so what are some of our top contenders? Uh, so. Full disclosure, I've not seen Pinocchio yet. Neither have I, and I understand they're really doing a best picture push, not yeah, just they best are. animated. Yeah. So they're screening it uh, Saturday at AFI. So we'll be getting our first look at that. And we haven't seen Strange oh, World. Oh, to be clear, uh, it's Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Because oh, yeah. isn't there another Pinocchio? Not the Tom like, Hanks. That's right. Yeah, Robert that's Zemeckis, it. Robert Zemeckis, which I saw. No. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. See, that's I, I love me some Zemeckis, man. But me too. what is happening? Oh, man? no. It's pretty, pretty rough. <laughs> as prepared as you were, was it even worse? 
than you kind think. of yeah, yeah. kind yeah it, like yeah it was, it was pretty rough that's but that's going Emmy side so we don't have to worry about that Emily <laughs> so you two can worry about <laughs> can't wait for that EE cover um, <laughs> <laughs> hey I'm not saying no to Tom yeah, Hanks that's true um, but yeah the, some of the best films this year uh, big not surprised Turning Red still resonates all these months later and Domi Shi the director on the panel talking about the first time she ever saw Aladdin and thought he was so hot and said oh, she had yeah. to draw him. And, she, and then she has this whole, she had a whole sketchbook full of Aladdin drawings. And when she was in college, called her cousin and said, there's a book under my bed. <laughs> you need you to get rid of it. Cause it, it came through like in the middle of the night. Um, but Prince Eric and Aladdin were both yes, big gateways big for me. Yeah, yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I love me some, uh, Bell and Jasmine. I also yeah, love Bell. Bell was a big one. Yeah, Jasmine was, was a big one for me, too. Wasn't big on Ariel, though. Really? No, I mean, her hair was too red for me. I like redheads, oh, but she was, it was a little too red for me. Too red. Her hair but, is too red. But when Ursula turns into the oh, human. She has the black hair. <gasps> oh, like, Eric, you should have chose her, man. Yep. Because yep. that, that, that. Big old Vanessa She also can't speak, but. Okay. That's true, yeah. <laughs> Um, Wendell and Wilde uh, from Henry Selleck, Nightmare Before Christmas director, back, uh, Oscar nominated for Coraline. Have you seen Wendell? Yes, yet? yes. It's Did you very like it? charming. I liked it a lot. It's a little overstuffed, but I would rather something be more ambitious mm-hmm. than less. There's a lot going on in that and so many, you know, it's just it's just so fun to see Key and Peele back together again. Yep. And then voice of Angela Bassett, who's also in a little independent film, Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. I haven't heard of it. Premier- tiny. Yeah, tiny. tiny. What's Pre- that? Premiered last week. Um, Are we allowed to talk about that yet? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. the Margo li- sure. lifted okay. on that. Oh, yeah. Black Panther, <laughs> it, it, it's really good. It's uh, really good. It, Spoiler it, alert. It's really great. It's really long. It, it, Everyone says that, and I didn't feel the length, but yeah, it was so interesting. I, I didn't feel the length at first because I think the last 15 minutes were a tad of a letdown. Then I'm like, oh, we did two hours and 41 minutes for this. I was a little disappointed. But listen, truth is, like they got dealt a shitty hand. Like that's what it is. Like you have to reconfigure an entire story arc because Chadwick's not here anymore. And it was going to be a heavy lift. I think they, they did the best they could. I thought it was great. I really did. Yeah. Yeah. But Angela Bassett, I think, is a thing. This year. I think that she is. If anyone's getting nominated from that film, it's her. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it. I think it could happen. She's fantastic. First MCU. She's a queen. Yeah. She's great. 64? I know. Every time I talk to her or see her, I'm like, how? God. I swear this woman is aging backwards. Like, yeah. I don't understand what's happening. Hollywood. Uh, <laughs> or just being amazing. Yeah. Uh, also, on that, also on that panel that I've seen that hasn't uh, been released yet, Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. Oh, which I hear is lovely. It, it is so delightful. And a little bit of a confession, I, don't, I haven't really liked any of the spinoff Shrek movies. Like, I like Shrek 1 and 2, and then I didn't like anything really after that. Weirdly, Shrek 4 is good. Yeah, I Shrek like, Forever After. I remember that came out, and I was like, when is number yeah, four in a yeah. series ever really good? But Puss in Boots is, like, really, really good, and it's super charming. Uh, and then Marcel the Shell with shoes. Oh, <laughs> is it qualifying? Ah, uh, we don't know it yet. Mm-hmm. It I mean, should. It's absolutely it's, an I mean, it, sh- film. it should. Yeah. It's going to be a photo finish. I think it, it depends on how you interpret the. That's the also one that they should push for best picture, and um, not just and adapted screenplay, especially. Yeah. yeah. So explain to us to to the, the lay people. Why. So yeah. So for animation, the, to qualify for animation, you have to have seventy five percent of your film be animated. So it's not clear whether it's linear, because uh, if that's the case, then it qualifies. Because then I think they did the count. It's about eighty three percent animation. 
So like every frame has some animation, 83% of it. Mm -hmm. If they don't do linear and they're looking at a screen where Marcel's on and then there's live action around him, then you have to take how much percentage of the screen oh, really? has animation. Oh, interesting. And that's what we don't know. I tried to do it for a second. I was like, oh, I can't figure this out because you have to like figure out like yeah. angles and stuff. Yeah. So they have disqualified Apollo 10 and a half, Richard Linklater's movie, uh, Rotoscope. Um, which also sucks too, because loving Vincent also did it and it becomes like kind of an aesthetic choice rather than like, you know, Snow White was rotoscope. Like what would Roger Rabbit be today? Like would that qualify? I always wonder about Roger Rabbit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What would Roger Rabbit be? Listen, even something like claymation stop motion, like I believe that's animation, right? Like, yeah, I do. But that's something physical. So why is that isn't stop motion too? Yeah. So why is that qualified, but not actually having something on screen? A lot of people feel like that's why the Lego movie got snubbed because of that last sequence with Mm. Will Ferrell. Really? And and people got mad and were like, oh, like once you have live, a little bit of live action, they get like mad. But also there's uh, like Adventures of Tintin was also it qualified. That was mocap. And then it didn't get nominated in the end. So that's another kettle of fish <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah you start having questions like what is avatar then like well yeah excellent question. like is avatar animation i mean yeah kind of you know i don't think james cameron will say that but a lot of other people will well if it, if it meant that he could win both oscars yeah then... i mean not for nothing he probably should try to go for it like in that round too because we'll see oh did you guys hear the runtime on avatar the way of water 20, 27 hours right yeah <laughs> <laughs> Think, three uh, weeks is that three, what it is? three hours and 11 minutes yeah I, how long was the first one because uh, i wasn't sure i think 250 maybe ish to be honest like that will keep me from going to a theater to see it i'm not kidding i will not i will not sit through a three hour in a theater the movie. long movie year, it's a man. tough it's a tough thing shouldn't they do like an intermission for a movie that long someone asked me actually a student asked me at scad do you think intermissions will come back in theaters and i was like no, but also I'm sure someone's thought of that. Didn't and they I, do one for Hateful Eight and it was actually kind of cool? Well, it, I think, yeah, when you do it, that's like, I'll say a gimmick, but when you do it like as part of an experience and sure, because that overture yeah. also, but to bring it back for all movies. I don't know if you need to do it for all movies, yeah. but if it's over a certain runtime, I mean, it's just unrealistic that people, like people are yeah. going to have to get up and use the restroom yeah. and then you're going to miss yeah, something. Three hours, come on. Yeah, I mean, Marcel's 86 minutes, so. Uh, I'm going to three breaks. Well, yeah, what if you just agree as a theater, like, okay, can we pause it right now? <laughs> and just like as a theater, we all just decide, okay, we're all going to pause it. Mm-hmm. Go use, we'll come back, and then we'll unpause. Yeah. yeah. Babylon's three hours and eight minutes, I think. Which will be screening a couple weeks, yeah. 14th. Um, yeah, this is long movie. We have any other uh, unknowns that are out there? A Man Called Otto. Yes, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. Oh, okay, sorry. Just to bring in the TV people, um, Tom Hanks back as David Pumpkins. On Saturday Night Live. Why Pretty don't? Great. Why has there cheering. not been a like spinoff? Like I know. Well, there was a, an animated special. Which yeah, was there was very, was, very funny. It was so funny. So yeah. funny. His car is a strawberry. Yes, I was <laughs> obsessed. <laughs> but, but, but Bobby Moynihan has to be there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny because first Tom appeared in that um, Alcoholics Anonymous sketch where mm-hmm. he's like, I'm Tom H. And I was like, wait, he's there and it's Halloween. And I was then like, there's Bob- no way yep. you're not doing it. <laughs> right. And then when I saw Bobby Moynihan, I was like, oh, my God, it's yeah. happening. Oh, Bobby Moynihan reading. as Drunk Uncle. Yeah. So good. I love, like, Bobby is one of my all-time favorite SNL He's really guys. great. Very, very like, good. he's the best. Can His I just say. is so good. Yeah. I told him this in person because I ran into him at a premiere not too long ago, but 
I really miss Beck Bennett. I do too. Yeah. Same. That utility Same. player. I, I, miss, yeah. I miss Alex I Moffat this year. Same. <laughs> I really liked Alex. I always I thought he was so underrated. Yeah. So get him back, Mike. Yeah, go, Mike. Go to work. Mike. All right, we'll work on it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that just actually, it's a good transition to documentary chatter. Because talk about things that people ding you for. Uh, good Night Oppie opens this week. Great movie. Which is the coda of documentaries, guys. Okay. It's so delightful. Mm-hmm. And it's so happy. It's about the Mars rovers. Uh, and if you're like me, you didn't pay attention to science uh, uh, many years ago. So this may be a little unknown to some of us here. But it's so good. And we're afraid that the doc branch is going to ding it because there's visual effects in it. Because obviously they didn't have 4K HD cameras in space to, you know, transport us there to be in the room. Yeah. So be in the room, be in the, in the, <laughs> be on the planet, on planet. the planet where it happens. <laughs> so we're a little afraid for that, but yeah. supposed to be a 90 day mission and it lived for 15 years. I shouldn't yeah. say lived, but you know what I mean? It, it did live. Cause that's Survive. what you think. Yeah. You're, it's Wally. Like yeah, they're, they're two Wally. It, re- it looks yeah. like Wally. Yeah. It, 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 I'm telling you, like we, I, I live for the day that we get a documentary in best picture and I would love for that to be it this yeah. year. Yeah. So what do you think? Is it uh, going to be docked or? I mean, I, I think it makes, I think it makes a short list and then we'll see after that. <sighs> the, the documentary the, is always the hardest yeah, to predict. The do- they, they always seem to punish the most popular mm-hmm. quote unquote. It, it, documentary. If we're ranking the worst branches, <laughs> like who would have the most problems? <laughs> it's doc branch first, music branch second, animation branch third. And doc branch is by far the most problematic. They just cannot, you I mean, almost don't want to be the the most popular documentary of the year. You want yeah. to be the second most. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they they hate archival uh, docs. They hate uh, uh, recreations. That's why the rescue got snubbed last year. Uh, like a, there's a lot of stuff. But when there's a an overabundance of and they hate Mister Rogers. They've made they that do very hate Mister Rogers and and Jane Goodall. Well, that's right. And and there's not the Emmys as saving grace anymore either. You you can't. Uh, Which is weird. That only applies that side but not the other way around yeah. you can so if you apply to if you submit for oscars you can't go to emmys but if you submit for emmys you can go to oscar oh, i didn't think that was the case that that yeah it's it's only a rule on the emmy side because i looked i looked into that last year and it was very strange uh and that's uh, okay it's gonna change in a week yeah that's true. it always changes so. do love me some senior by the way though robert downey jr doc oh yeah which yeah. is 80 88 minutes guys oh yeah i've yeah. had three stars i'm in, I'm in. Tell you, you're under 90 minutes. You'll get good coverage. Yeah, of variety. I mean, under, <laughs> under like the three, the three numbers. Like if it's under 100 minutes, I'm in. <laughs> Someone said on Twitter, they said, what, "When did two hours become the new 90 minutes?" Like, really? It's that's what it so feels true. like right now. All right. Once you have to have two VHS tapes, then I'm out. <laughs> All right. So Emily, what are you watching? I am really enjoying The White Lotus too. It just premiered. It's such a good cast. I actually think I kind of like it more than season one. I know that's kind of like a crazy, a crazy thing to say, but an amazing cast. Aubrey Plaza, standout Megan Fahey. I'm so happy she's finally getting the do because loved her since the bold type. And I feel like now everyone's jumping on the train that I've been on for years. So I'm excited about it. Two white, two lotus. Theo James. <laughs> Theo James. And prosthetics. prosthetics. <laughs> I, I haven't seen it yet. So it's it's fake. It's fake. Oh. I think if you pause it, you can actually tell that it's fake. <laughs> Did you pause it? <laughs> That's what I've heard. Slow mo. <laughs> better, better or worse scene than Sebastian stands. I mean, it's not as fun. Okay, <laughs> it's not as fun. That's for sure. There's no talking happening, so that's a bummer. Um, 
I will say, I mean, it's November 1st, so I can say, I mean, I'm watching a lot of Christmas movies, let's be honest. Yay! So that's really what's happening. Tis the season. Do you have a favorite yet of the new uh, Christmas story story? Of the new ones, I don't yet, because I haven't watched enough yet, so I don't want to judge. I have one that I watch every year that's a Lacey Chabert one, and it's called A Wish for Christmas. And I literally DVR'd it, I think, four four years ago. And it airs a hundred times over the season, but I just DVR'd it so that, like, when I'm in a mood, I can just put it on. And... Do, you have, do you have siblings or your only child? I have an older sister. Oh, uh, you must be the best auntie. Like, <laughs> uh, like the best auntie in the world. I, like, I really am. I I'm, do. I'm, I'm, have... br- I'm still bringing Sophia and Noah around you. Okay. They need a the good, positive force in their life. <laughs> so they can all watch Hallmark so, movies? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. They're just, like, just wholesome, a yeah. wholesome brand, like I'm Emily. actually the aunt who reminds, like, my niece and nephew, who are, who are a bit older, they're, like, uh, just out of college, but... They, I remind them constantly of shows that are like not Netflix shows that just go on Netflix later. Like they were like, "Have you ever watched All American on Netflix?" And I'm like, "That's a CW show." Right, but right. okay, give, give credit. <laughs> so like, yeah. Are they familiar with the Girls Five Eva? They now are. moving to they Netflix. Are, yes. Yes. Oh my god, it's gonna be huge. Girls Five Eva moving to Netflix. That is gonna be huge. I'm so, so excited, so happy for them too. I'm really happy for them. If they do the Cobra Kai treatment and get yeah. comedy series, and Renee Elise Goldsberry gets in, I mean, it's a good world to live in. To be fair, like. It, I mean, there's a lot of shows that could move over to Netflix that really deserve it. For someone who is the only one in this room that watches Peacock, I can say that. I watch Peacock. I, I watch some Peacock. <laughs> good, good, good. That's, okay. how watch, that's how I watch SNL now. Because <laughs> who's up that late? I know. Yeah, I, I, know. I can't. Um, but also, uh, you should recommend Family Ties to your niece and nephew. That's a, that's a good one to it's say. Good, it's a good They story. probably Because Michael J. Fox no is getting the honorary Oscar I'm in two weeks. S- I love him so much. I'm so happy about that. Yeah. Love, love him. Yeah, I was going to say, where's the Family Ties reference coming from? I know, from? right? Don't connect together, Michael J. Fox. Also, Dead to Me is coming back very soon, and everyone should keep an eye out for that, because the new season is... Jessica binged it and fell in love with that show. It's so good. She's, They're so good. She's such yeah. a good consumer mind for me. Nice. Of, like, seeing, like, oh... Like, a, what a normal person Yeah, yeah like, she's <laughs> totally normal. She's like, sometimes she's like, no, nah, I'm not going to watch this. I used to have a roommate like that. I called her Liz, my non-industry roommate, mm-hmm. and she was such a good barometer yeah. of how things were going to what go. people are going to watch. Yeah. My mom yeah. can be a pretty good barometer, but if it's got Stephen Young in it, the whole thing is skewed. So. <laughs> That's me with Stallone. So everyone's like, well, have you seen Tulsa King yet? I'm like, you can't even ask me what I think because like, I, I could, it could be the worst thing in the world and I'm like, A+. Plus. You're a Stallone fan? She's, oh. My cat's name is Sly. <laughs> so, Outside are you for Creed 3? I mean, I, I can't I don't think he's in Creed 3. I mean... He, I just we'll feel like see. they'll be yeah. like they'll be like we'll flashback yeah. or something. He has to do something. Yeah. Wow. Well, on that note, everyone, free, free Tokyo Drift. <laughs> <laughs> we're giving more, more Fast and Furious references. That's what we're doing here. Uh, so, what's opening real quick? Uh, Good this, night, this weekend. Good night, Oppie. Good night, Oppie. Yes. <laughs> You're gonna so. cry. <laughs> It's a, good, it's a good cry, though. It's oh, not good like, cry. It's not, it's not like your yeah. Ball. Okay. It's not. It's not like a cry in the sun, or like. Close. Well, or I've cried, I've cried a lot this year from scratch on Netflix. Bring oh, tissues. Really? Whew, whew, whew. Bring tissues cry? to my bedroom where I watch Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yes, bring tissues into your bedroom. <laughs> Honestly, just thinking about Coco because it is uh, Dia de los Muertos today. Yes. Oh, oh, yeah. Coco's a, Coco always makes me cry. That's a, that's a ferocious yeah. cry. Yeah. It's like cry an to, ugly cry. It's <laughs> an ugly, like, like catch my breath cry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, that last is where we end with. I took Sophia to go see Coco with me at a press screening, and it was him singing to his grandmother at the end that whatever. So I was crying. Yeah. I'm going to cry now. And it's dead silent in the theater. And Sophia turned to me and she goes, are you crying? <laughs> Loud as hell. The entire theater erupts in laughs. And I 
beat her. I did not beat her. I should have oh beat gosh, her. I really should have beat her. We really need to edit this. I don't know. <laughs> did not beat her. But it was like, I can't believe you. I love like, it. Like, no loyalty at all. <laughs> Inside voice. <laughs> uh, also opening wide this weekend, Armageddon Time, which is not about an asteroid. Not. Okay. It's not, it's not the sequel to the Bruce Willis hit. Okay. Is this Jeremy Strong? Jeremy yes. Strong. Aren't you impressed, guys? I knew something about a movie. <laughs> and then the Banshees. Of... Of initi- is that wide this week? Yeah. Have you guys seen it yet? I have not. No. Go see so it. So good. You too. Now. I haven't been in a theater. That said, I did see, I went to a screening this weekend of... For Halloween weekend of the '94 Dracula, <laughs> and it was so Wait, much 94, fun. '94, '92, so cool. Was it, I thought Wait, it was '94. The Winona Ryder one. Yeah, 90, Keanu Reeves. Yeah, yeah. 92. Keanu Reeves is so bad in it, that, but it's so enjoyable. Oh no, I think he's. I mean, <laughs> it's so enjoyable. I can't. I that, cheered through the whole thing. That's such a good run of Keanu Reeves, by the way, of him like really trying something different. Oh yeah. Because then right after that, you get much ado about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he's really justice for Keanu Reeves. That's I love him that exactly. run. Matthew Perry doesn't Keanu. like him, no, but we no. do. <laughs> team Team Keanu. Sorry, Matthew. Perry. Yeah, I don't think anyone is not Team. Well, here's my thing. Friends is my favorite TV show, but Speed is my favorite movie. So I'm <gasps> so torn. The battle. The, the battle. battle. Between yeah. didn't he um didn't he shade him twice in the book too? Twice. It's not like he just and, made one. And, passing I can comment. confirm. Yeah, twice. and we don't know why, right? Because no. he's just like it's really like Encounter's story is so sad. Like but it's just it's like, like an well, pass. It's just a thing. Yeah, moment. don't punch like that. Yeah, yeah. But I did huh. watch his Diane Sawyer interview. Matthew, Matthew Perry? Perry. Yeah, it was. It was enlightening. Like you feel, you feel. You do. Like, you, you do feel, feel something. Um, I also cried in that, but that's just um. <laughs> But the book, I will say, I laughed out loud in multiple chapters because even when he's telling this awful story, he like does have like this one liner that is yeah. just so Matthew yeah. Perry that is so funny. Could I be? <gasps> yeah, any me more too. Matthew it. Perry. Uh, and Beat I, me too. Shockingly, he created that before Friends started, and then when he did it at the first table read, Marta was like, "Oh my gosh, we're putting this as Chandler." And then halfway through, he begged her to get rid of it because he was so <laughs> sick of doing it. So t- yeah. <laughs> Care for what yeah. you wish for. I also love Jennifer Aniston a little more now because of yeah, that interview. She was the one who, who knew. stepped in and stepped was like, yeah. I know something's you going on. You need a friend on. like that. Janelle doesn't do that for me. She doesn't know anything's wrong with me. Yet. He also <laughs> punched a hole in her dressing room wall when he found out that Chris Farley died. It's pretty mm. pretty sad. Mm. Did Farley die? Um, they did almost almost heroes. Almost no, no, but heroes when did together. Farley die? I'm, I'm such a bad on time. 90s. I thought Farley died like early 90s. No, nah. I think it was late. Na- well, it was definitely late. Tommy 90s. Boy. Yeah. yeah. All right. On that note, I love you, Michael Schneider. I'll be there for you. <laughs> After the break, TAR director Todd Field. From Los Angeles, this is the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And we're back. It's the Variety Award Circuit Podcast, and I'm Clayton Davis. It was on the set of Stanley Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut that Tom Cruise took then-actor Todd Field to the side and told him he would one day be a director. That moment with the star of Top Gun Maverick had a profound effect on Field, 
with previous acting credits that included Radio Days in 1987 and Sleep With Me in 1994. Now, 16 years have passed since Fields' last film, 2006's Little Children, was released in theaters. And he's back with his finest film yet, Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. Tar focuses on the fictionalized Lydia Tar, played by two-time Oscar winner Blanchett, who plays a lesbian composer who becomes the first woman to conduct a major German orchestra. Time is the thing. Time is, is the essential piece of uh, interpretation. You cannot start without me. See, I start the clock. Now, my left hand, it shapes, but my right hand, the second hand, marks time and moves it forward. However, unlike a clock, sometimes my second hand stops, which means that time stops. Now, the illusion is that, like you, I'm responding to the orchestra in real right, time, making right. the decision about the right moment to restart the thing or reset it or throw time out the window altogether. The reality is that right from the very beginning, I know precisely what time really? it is and the exact moment that you and I will arrive at our destination together. After premiering at the Venice and Telluride Film Festivals, the film opened to rave reviews from critics, firmly placing it in the middle of the Oscar race across all categories. I recently caught up with Field to talk about Tar and, of course, began grilling him on what he's been doing in the 16 years since Little Children. Well, I was, I was doing what you're doing. I was raising, raising children and, um, you know, trying to keep the lights on and stay busy and, you know, stay interested and stuff, you know. So, uh, where did the idea of tar come from? Where, where did it all stem from? You know, it's always, that's always, um, it's really, I, like, how do you honestly answer uh, that kind of question? And it's, it, it's a fair question. Um, I don't really, you know, I don't really think in, um, I'm not a plotter, you know, mm -hmm. um, I normally think about characters, like I'm interested in people and watching people's behavior. So, um, I'd been thinking about this character as a character, not, not set within any milieu or anything for probably 10 years. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that that's, that's yeah. where it started. Uh, so, and a lot of people may not know this uh, aside from being a producer, director, screenwriter, uh, you're also a composer. You love music. You actually went to school for, for music, I believe. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't call myself a composer. I, <laughs> I, I was, a um, a young, hungry, fledgling, uh, journeyman jazz musician. I was a trombonist. I played a bit of piano and, um, and most of my friends that, that I played in bands with then are, are still playing. Um, but, um, that was a long, long time ago. Your movie has generated such conversation in the general public, but I will be even more specific in the variety offices, uh, particularly between me and my colleagues, just breaking down, scenes and one of the things we all agree on that we want to read the script like mm. the descriptions the, the 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 stage direction everything about in that in that script we just have to digest it how does one write something like this because i it's so specific so particular and we know you're a very detailed filmmaker so how did that come alive on this on this on the page um like it always does i mean you sit down and i mean the difference here um, I suppose with, you know, most other writing I've done is I've only written, you know, I wrote 
I adapted some stuff when I was a fellow at the American Film Institute, you know, in the early 90s. Um, and when I came out of AFI, I was commissioned to write um, anything I wanted. I, it was one of the sort of like dream things that you think is going to happen out of film school that yeah. never happens that happened. Yeah. Uh, so I wrote an original script. And, you know, I felt very raw about it because it was, you know, essentially like my 400 blows, you know, my, mm -hmm. my signature coming of age piece. And I gave it to my then agent who um, said the 1980s was not an era, you know, and I was so depressed by that, that I never showed it to the people that hired me to, mm -hmm. um, to write it. And I kind of put it away. And I mean, for the next, however many years it's been, I, I can't do that kind of math, 27 years or something, I've only adapted material. So that process is, you know, um, is very specific depending on what you're responding to and where that leads you in terms of somebody's work, mm -hmm. you know, and it's oftentimes uh, it may be someone you know or you're collaborating with or, or you may never meet them, you mm -hmm. know. Um, but with this script, you know, the studio just kind of said, write whatever you want. And it was a, it was the beginning of the, of the lockdown. And they had no idea what I was going to do, none. And, um, not even like a, like a one line, like they had no idea, no, idea. Genre, no idea. They thought I was writing something for, for an actor, first mm. of all, they had no idea I was not writing. For, I mean, they, I did write something for an actor because yeah. I, I don't believe in gender distinctions for, mm. for, uh, for performers, but, um, they had no idea I was writing this for Kate Punchett and, um, had no idea what it was about anything. Basically Peter Kujowski, um, said, write anything you want. We just want to make a film with you. And that was a very nice thing for him to say, but by the same token, when somebody gives you that kind of freedom and respect, you know, um, you're desperate to, to meet it head on. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so there was a, you know, there was a reasonable sense of anxiety for me uh, when I handed the script in. And the script came very quickly. I wrote it in about 12 weeks, which is very fast for me. Wow. 12, first of all, I need to be better because I can three three months to 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 write something that but you have rich to, and but, but you have to understand it was the it was the lockdown you I think we forget now mm. I mean look at you and I are sitting here just think it's it, let's think it's the end of March 2020 where are you yeah you're in your house it's frightening outside you know you're going to have to hazmat up to get to the market you're only going to go every three weeks maybe you make a deal with your partner i'm going to go this time you stay home you decontaminate when you come home it's a very very concentrated different kind of headspace that we were all in during that period of time and that's yeah. the period of time in which i wrote the script so i don't think that you know it may have been very different had that not occurred yeah, if you had day-to-day -day life but you also mentioned you have children so that's how i was thinking about that uh, added even that added well uh, i don't have wrench. a seven and 11 year old i wish i did that <laughs> so much fun those ages but no I, we had a um you know we had our at the time at you know our our just 12 year old and he's a wonderful wonderful person um and he's easy so it, it, it wasn't like that um i just had to share my office with him in the evening so he had some place to escape to to yeah. you know play games so See, games are video games are important. I we we I was talking about this uh, recently with my wife because uh, my daughter was like saying that she was like bored about something, and I was like, during the pandemic, you guys, we like Netflix was here. If the pandemic happened in 1995, yeah. God, we like we would we would have died. Like there's no way because we couldn't go outside. There were like we would have been at the mercy of whatever was on TV, and. TV wouldn't have come back right after because I don't think we would have gotten it together. It's true. But you think we also would have been in a very particular moment, which is, I mean, forget 1995, think about pre-Reagan, think about mm. before the FEC, you know, before the wheels came off the wagon, when you had three networks and one independent channel and where 
you weren't allowed to have political bias or anything like that in terms of the reportage that you were receiving. So in many ways, I think um, it may have been much more stable and less frightening for us. Mm, that's, yeah. oh, that's a very good point. Uh, I want to go back a little bit to uh, how Todd Field, writer-director, comes to be. And we are all aware of the, uh, your acting career that came pre uh, in the bedroom. And I've always will always hold the greatest spot in my heart for you and Twister alongside the great Philip Seymour Hoffman, Bill Paxson. All my favorite people are in that. Alan Ruck is in that movie. Alan Everybody, Ruck. Everybody's yep. there. Um, tell me about your acting career. Did you, I guess it's hard. Did you enjoy it? Did some that like you ever thought about like maybe coming back to? No, <laughs> no, no. I, I, you know, a few years ago, I, I woke up from a nightmare that I was an aging, you know, character actor waiting for the phone to ring. And I like screamed my, my wife awake. She said, what happened? And I said, I just had the most terrible nightmare, you know? Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I did enjoy it, you know, as a young person, it was thrilling. I mean, it was, it was magical. I, I, yeah, no, I really enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the people I worked with, the people you mentioned, you know, um, that unfortunately are died way too young, you know? Um, I mean, Bill Paxson and I made three movies together. We were very, very close friends. So were our sons, you know? Um, I got such an education in terms of, um, the filmmakers I worked with and, people that were really generous with their time and um, the sound people and cinematographers, the art department, the craft people. And, and I got to travel the world and get paid for it. You know, I mean, it's a, that's a fairly rarefied um, experience uh, to be sure. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I, only, I did it for about, you know, I don't know, five or six years and then quit um, to go to film school and, while I was in film school, the last film I had made uh, was this uh, film by Victor Nunez, um, and it went to the Sundance Film Festival and won the Grand Jury Prize. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have I had nothing. I had my attorney. And so I, I started getting offers for films. So for the next 10 years, I was kind of paying off my film school loans, uh. acting in movies, you know, but, but I was kind of finished with it by that point, you know. Yeah, chasing tornadoes just—it's hard to do day in. Well, you day know, out. It, it, it was hard. And <laughs> if you talk to others that uh, other cast that worked on that movie, they would tell you about you know being pelted with real ha hail out of machines and having our scalps split open and having to get stitches and things. Yeah, it was very exciting. Yeah, so speaking of another great that we haven't heard from in a while, like you know. John DeBont movies were like such a staple of the nineties. Oh yeah. You know, like I just yeah, remember, so I'm always ready for more of that. Um, let's, let's walk into in the bedroom, which was nominated for best picture back in 2001 features. My favorite Marissa Tomei performance ever, which can be blasphemy because my cousin Vinny is very much around, but she is fantastic in it. Um, as, as is Tom Wilkinson and Sissy Spacek. What do you recall about, that being your first outing as a as a writer or director um well it was a film that i had wanted to make uh since i had been uh, a fellow at, at afi um and i remember we had an instructor there deju megyar and i had shown him uh the short story killings that's uh that the film's based upon and he said it's too much for a short you could never do it and he was right and so i kind of put it away and i did another of andre's stories uh, called delivering at school um but it, it was a film, it was a story that had really, uh, you know, it stayed with me as things do, you know, when you read something, oftentimes um, 
they take on a life of their own after many years. And you go back to it and you say, oh, that's not what it was, you know? Mm. Um, and when I was working um, on this film in England, Eyes Wide Shut, Tom Cruise actually, uh, Tom took me aside and he said, you know, you really, you're going to direct. And I said, oh yeah, no, I went to film school. I'm directing. He goes, no, no, you're going to direct. I'm, what are you going to do? You know, and uh, that was a pretty profound moment to um, be asked that question, especially uh, with the tremendous amount of enthusiasm and energy and certitude that um, that Tom brought to that question. Yeah. Um, and so I went home on the Christmas break and I thought, I'm going to do this. And I had said, you know, the rights are tied up. He said, well, you go get those rights. You find those rights, you know. And a year later, as we were wrapping, I had the script, you know, um, and I had partners on it. And, you know, I gave Stanley the script and I was able to sit there and, and actually talk about things, you know. Um, and that was a pretty inspiring kind of manifesto in terms of feeling like I had to make it, you know. And especially after after Stanley passed away, I really felt like I had to make it. Yeah, I mean, Stanley was one of your mentors. Like you – like I, I remember reading some uh, somewhere that he – like you learned a lot. You, you said that you learned a lot from him. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think Stanley is a mentor to every filmmaker who's ever lived. You know, I mean, he he was a gigantic figure for for everyone uh, in film school and even before film school. You know, and I I'd known other people that had worked with Stanley and had you know driven them crazy. <laughs> you know, yeah. asking questions. So, um, but I mean, there's certain filmmakers I worked with that were extremely. I, I, you tend to, you know, when you work with people that are really closed off and don't want to talk about process, it's probably because they're really insecure. Mm -hmm. I was lucky to work with some people that liked being asked questions and liked to ask you questions. They were bored with their own opinions, you yeah. know, and were willing to share, you know, willing to come to bring you in and and show you stuff and ask what you thought. And, and, and you know, that's really the thing is like, you know, what is this thing? You know, yeah. what does it look like and how does it work and how might you do it differently? I mean, and that's, you know, that's the, that's the basic. I can't just brush past this, by the way, I, I skipped this part. Tom Cruise, essentially Maverick telling you, go make, you know, go be a director, go make, you know, that you can, you can yeah, do this. Yeah. He's basically like, pushing me onto the, onto the fighter jet. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and, and, First of all, have you seen Top Gun Maverick? This of year? course. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm waiting for the person who goes, no, I actually haven't gotten to it yet. No, no. Uh, no. Did you love it? Just of course. Just yeah, absolutely. I, are you kidding? Yeah. No, I'm terrific, man. It's, uh, it's amazing. And Joe Kaczynski did a hell of a job. It's great. You know, look, looking at someone like Stanley Kubrick, uh, one of the rare filmmakers I can say, you know, that has a large body of, of work that never missed. I don't think he ever made a bad movie and that's like not we can't say that for even people i love 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 and i love kubrick also but you know everyone's like yeah they have one that i'm like uh but he never missed tom cruise acting wise like gives his all every time and i wanted to compare that now to kate blanchett you wrote this for her she's considered one of our greatest living actresses um why Kate Blanchett? Why did you write it for her? Besides, I guess the obvious of like, she's Kate Blanchett. Yeah. I, well, there is that. I mm -hmm. mean, and the obvious part of she's Kate Blanchett yeah. is kind of unignorable. Um, you know, like any sort of truly iconic performer, which of course she is. She's a generational performer, you know. Um, she's as important to us as Brando, 
you know. Um, so, you know, Kate and I had met um, about 10 years ago when we met in New York. We were discussing possibly collaborating on a film that Joan Diddy and I had written together. And that meeting just had such a profound impact on me. It really echoed um, because of the sort of just absolutely um, impossible three-dimensional way she has of looking at narrative and talking about story. Um, she's really, really one of the great intellects uh, I think you'll ever come across, you know. Like if she wasn't a performer, she should be running a country, mm. you know. Mm. And um, I mean, we, we, we can do, never do both, right? Yeah, now, we, yeah, we, yeah. Well, she, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah be, you could just amend some actually, stuff. Actually, you know, what? let's just let's start the campaign, right? Yeah, yeah. Kate so, Blanchett for president. Uh, yeah, that yeah, works yeah, for me. Yeah. yeah, she has a U.S. passport, so I think we, so that step has been taken care of, and I can prove she has that passport. Oh, okay. Yeah, no matter what somebody else says, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. when they start asking, yeah. like, uh, let's see, birth certificates. Uh, she listen, we can. Let her be governor first. We can get, have her do some stuff that way. It'll be great. Um, but yeah, I'm sorry. You were uh, saying. So obviously she's so brilliant. On a set, when she steps onto set, like, is this a film that is multiple takes? I mean, does she just like, you know, nail it every time? Like, is, are, do, you, do you try different things? What's this style that you guys have together? Kind of the approach on this from the very beginning, once she signed on, is to try to take away every single possible safety net she could have as a performer. So that if she's walking the line, she's walking the line. Mm -hmm. There's no safety for her at all. And I think for the most part that we followed that, you know? She didn't know that. I, I probably should have had more, I should have been more transparent with her about that mm -hmm. as a practical matter. But um, about three weeks in, she came up to me, she said, you, you don't do any coverage, do you? I, wouldn't it be great if we covered this thing? And I said, no. And she goes, don't you want to do a close-up? No, no. So we got into this, we fell into a rhythm where, you know, basically um, the way I like to work generally with actors is um, the set, there's no one on set but the actors. Mm -hmm. um, and then we've rehearsed, you know, before the day, obviously. We rehearse again on the day. I block the rehearsal and then I bring camera in and say, okay, we're on a 29 millimeter lens. The camera's three feet high, no tilt. We're in the corner over here. We're going to do a little move when she comes over. Just so that they're so that they're not ever working around us. It's the other way around, you know. Um, and and so we really got used to that rhythm where um, she knew that there weren't going to be any cutaways. She knew that they would be single takes. But in terms of like how many, it really depended, you know. Um, it depended on what we were trying to do. Yeah. I've read, uh, I've heard this said a lot, even recently, 90% of directing a movie happens in pre-production. 10% happens on, on the actual set, the blocking, the, the thing about how, where the camera's going to be tilted, like how stressful was that period? Like, did you already, what is on the screen? Is that exactly what you envisioned yes. prior the, the, yeah. you, you went for I it. think it's it, it it's not nervous it, it's only nerve-wracking for you when you don't if you're building it's not nerve-wracking at all it's really simple mm. you know like Marco our production designer is a great builder he has an architectural background but you don't have a budget to build all the time so the sets that he built it was like that's you know Christmas time <laughs> very simple um 
but most of it was a scouting film. Okay. And that was very stressful for me, um, and definitely stressful for Marco, because I had a very particular thing that I wanted out of both her previous residence um, in Charlottenburg and her present residence in Mitte, in terms of how she moved through that space. And we just weren't finding it. And, and those things came together very, very late. I mean, almost up to the first day of shooting. Really? Yeah. Where is that house that her and Nina shared together in the film? It's an undisclosed thing. Uh, I need that house. I like, I need Well, it. we all need that house, <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's uh, uh, you know, um, one of the things I had to agree to, because no one's ever been allowed to shoot it, was that um, I could never disclose where, where it, it is. was. Yeah. It is. I said it's the best uh house in a movie since parasite <laughs> like it, I, I always say i want to live here i don't care where it is i'll i'll find or construct it somehow or I'll win the lotto either either <laughs> one um going uh further i want to talk about nina haas because i have deemed myself the president of nina haas fandom yeah, and i would like yeah. to keep I'm, with, I'm i'm with you that, I, i'll time. serve you president <laughs> yes yes um she is extraordinary barbara phoenix just two of how Two examples of how great she is. Yeah, she's. Did you know it was her? Uh, yes. Early on. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that no one else was ever thought about for that part. Um, and once Kate agreed to play it, we started talking about other parts, and you know, we were both saying at the same time, Nina Haas. You know, you know, Jinx. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and then very nervous. Uh, but it turned out actually that Nina was was shooting at the time. Uh, in Budapest, as was Kate. So they actually ran into each other um, in the lobby of the hotel Keep and sent joking. me a picture of themselves <laughs> together. So they, they had a fair amount of time, you know, months ahead of time where they got, they could get sort of, you know, a little bit acquainted, you know, at least uh, en passant. So um, that was great. And, and so the conversations with Kate had, you know, were, we had nine months of sort of preparing before we were on the ground in Berlin, but Nina too, you know, we had, Several months of conversations that then continued into, you know, in, into, into into rehearsals. So, and she brought, you know, she's a very, very, um, a very unique performer. Very, very smart, very soulful performer. Um, and and she really surgically came in with with just a feather and said, you know, I think you might be missing something here. What if we tried this? You know. And it was simple as that, because as soon as she said it, you were like, yes, that's exactly right. And the whole, like a, as if you took a, you know, a golden thread through this film and wove it through there, the, the, that needle is attached to Nina Haas, mm-hmm. you know. So she makes a great VP. If Kate's going to run the country, <laughs> well, then, yeah. I mean, then we could just Yeah, have actually, this. we've talked about this, <laughs> putting them on a platform together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, in this time where... In a lot of headlines and, and social media, people talk about like, you know, the, the director's cuts, the Snyder cuts. I don't feel like Todd Field puts out a movie that isn't his cut. And that mostly that's thanks to your great editor, uh, Monica Willie, who does like a, an amazing job. Uh, you know, your music by, uh, by Hildor, cinematography by Florian, assembling this. Like, how long was that process? Did it take you a while to, like, find the actual thing? Or are you one of those that says, like, it, you can still see it needs a tweak here, a tweak there. It'll never be perfect. Yeah, I know that, you know, I know that a lot of directors, um, for whatever reason, um, are not satisfied and want to go back and revisit work. I guess I probably don't have that kind of attention span, mm. you know. 
also, yeah, it's important that to me that whatever I put out there, um, I'm saying is this is my statement, you know, this is the best I got, you know, I don't got, I've got nothing left and you can blow holes in it and you can not like it. You can be unkind to, to this kid, you know, that I've dressed and stuck out for the world and yeah. I'll be really unhappy with you about that, yeah. but I can't do anything about that. Just like we can't do anything about it with our kids, you know? So I, I've never gone back to look at anything I've ever made as an actor or as a filmmaker in school, nothing. And I, I'll, there's a certain point where I'm really looking forward to never seeing this film again. You just said something that scares the hell out of me. I just need to make sure it doesn't mean what I think it means. When you say you don't revisit, does that mean we're not getting in the bedroom and little children on Criterion anytime soon? Well, you have to talk to Peter Becker about that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is that is that who? No, I would the... like that because I, I actually the you know having said that, um, I do have a, a sort of um, an old wound, which is you know um, in the bedroom doesn't even have the right framing chart on it. They did some transfer in some machine room, some anonymous person somewhere without ever contacting me. So you can't even watch the film the way that it was, that it was actually shot. And that raw footage is like, or the raw file of it, is that, well, I mean, it's 2001, so I don't know what's happening. Well, that some, somewhere is, are somewhere? the original elements that need to be, yeah. Redone? Yeah. I wouldn't be unhappy to do that. All right. You heard it, everyone. Don't you deny <laughs> this. Um, Tar's opening 16 years and one day after Little Children. I don't know if you put that together. It, literally opening uh, 16 years and one day apart. Celebrated the anniversary. Another Kate you worked with, with a K. Yes, yes. Uh, who Kate, I interviewed Kate. two years ago. Kate the And Great. asked her about you. That podcast exists. You can, I'm not lying. And I said, where's Todd Field? And at the time she said, I don't think he's going to do it. Like, she, she was like, I don't think he's going to do it. Like, I, I don't, she was like, I don't want to say that. But like, uh, I don't know. We would love to have him back. And then- Enter you. What do you remember from the little children uh, era of one other Kate? You just always work with Kate. Well, I was very lucky to work with both Kates, you know. Um, they're both incredible souls and wonderful, wonderful collaborators, you know, very, very sharp and smart. And, and they have a sense of wit and humor, yeah. which is uh, always nice, you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I know Kate's off right now. I'm doing a film about Lee Miller with uh, Alan Curris is oh, directing that. Yeah. yeah. And actually, Noemi Merlant has a small part in that, mm. Kate told me. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. What is uh, this, because it's been 16 years, what is the press tour, the opening of a movie? How does it differ now versus then? Obviously, there's been a lot of uh, talk about what tar is about everyone has a different interpretation and we we talk about uh its commentary on quote unquote cancel culture uh there and people are going to have different reactions to it which i think is always you don't we don't need everyone in agreement and know what everything is about but how does this time differ from then well i mean look at all that's happened um i mean we have we have a huge amount of um overdue rage and unrest based on just you know historic imbalances and um and a patriarchy that's doesn't really do us many favors as a species so it'll be interesting to see how how things actually net out and if things improve but the main thing is is i think that we keep talking you know and that we're allowed to talk to each other and with each other 
and that that conversation is as rich as possible. So we have a chance to find some common ground with one another. Um, I do want to circle back though, because you were asking me um, about uh, working with Monica Willie, my editor, you know, that was just the most incredible privilege. Um, She is a remarkable editor. Um, And I think oftentimes, you know, she's won every possible accolade in Europe for good reason. Um, but she's never worked on, you know, um, it's funny to call this an American film yeah. because it's, it's not really American film, but. Cause uh, she works frequently with, uh, Michael Haneke. And right? Uli Hanish yeah. um, and, and, and others. Um, but you know, a lot of times we get rewarded for doing, we get rewarded for overacting or we get rewarded for over directing or over shooting or, you know, uh, and over editing for just cuts, you know, the more or, cuts or most like we say that often. Or, yeah. Most, right. The most, like yeah. the most period costumes Well, you can go to, you know, angels and Bermans and rent those things mm-hmm. and then you make a few key costumes. Everybody goes, whoa, because mm-hmm. they see that it's different, that contrast, but it's where you don't see the contrast that the truth lies. And it's much, much more difficult, generally speaking. And this is, I'm being general, but, but in the specific, like, what are the rhythms for an editor? What's your sense of pace? And that's like being a conductor. And her sense of pace is so true and so is so aligned personally with my own that it was a it was an incredible just incredible uh, experience to be, be you know sort of bubbled with her in a 15th century nunnery in the middle of Scotland with nothing to do but cut seven days a week, and probably not something that either one of us would want to endure again being away from our families. But both of us have talked about this a lot, which is that we would never have been able to make this film without having done that. Also the fact that she goes from the beginning to the very end. She was, she was with me to the very, very end, to the final mix, the final grade at every moment, just a true, you know, uh, genius of a collaborator as an editor. It's awesome. I'm going to do a little bit of a rapid fire spoiler question. That's why purposefully left them for the end. So if you haven't seen Tar, do not listen to me right now. Uh, cause I need, we have some questions and whatever you're willing to answer, we would love for you to answer at the beginning of the movie. Who is filming Lydia Tar? Hmm. Well, I mean, what do we know about who she's with in New York? We think it's Francesca. You think it's Francesca? I, well, we think it's either Francesca or maybe the girl who... Krista Taylor? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And who do you think that that person is texting? I had no idea. I I, I was I thought it was just like up front, like somebody. If it was Francesca, then she was like, uh, then she was texting the the people that were going to investigate. that that the, the Because she, she edited, we think she cut the... The video? Someone's watching her. Someone's, yes. She, she's the observed. The very first shot of the film, she's being observed mm-hmm. and she's being commented on to someone, right? So the game's already rigged against her from the beginning. And the question as to who it is, is there's really no wrong answer. You know, I have my ideas, but yeah. I, would, I would hate to take, to take yours away from you. Yeah. I was like, what is that social media app? Is that like, is that just a, a, a top field? Like, no, no. Because it looked like maybe Facebook or Instagram, but then there were texting on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. That, it's a very good question. <laughs> um, now there's, you can, you know, you can do, there's several different tools. You could do Facebook live. You can do, there's, there's, you know, and in Europe they have their own, their own thing. Okay. 
Did anyone actually come into the house or was it paranoia? Did anyone, are you talking about when she's waking up in the middle of the night? Yes. Well, I mean, the first time that she kind of, it appears that she's, she feels like there's something on her is really at the Carlisle Hotel um, in the bathroom and she's brushing her hair um, and she's listening to NPR. There's something that, and that's that's the very first time that Hilda Gonda Daughter's very invisible music for this movie comes in. Um, it's a very long cue. And that cue is really about that, that thing that's on her. Um, you know, is that real? Is it imagined? Is it a guilty conscious? Is it a premonition? Um, I mean, all of that is possible, you know. But the outcome of having an... an heightened sense of anxiety and being sleepless is the same for her, which is eventually wears her down, you know? Got it. Who are those people in the costume at the end? Oh, oh, we shouldn't talk about that. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, (laughs) When she throws up outside of the spa slash brothel, um, is that Krista that she envisions or what I guess the sim- symbolism of that scene, like what is happening and why does she throw up? That's, I, I you know, I mean, I have my own reasons obviously yeah. mm-hmm. for it, but it, I, I think again, I would, I wouldn't argue with your interpretation or, or offer any other. I've always found it's best to let a movie speak for itself, Clayton. Got it. <laughs> nope. That's great. Uh, th- this, this is a combination of me and my colleagues. We're just like, we had to talk about these. Uh, did Krista ever enter Lydia's apartment? I guess that, that was part of anyone. I think that's part of the same, but I think specifically was that Krista, has she ever been in there before? Are you talking about in her in-town studio, the old apartment, or are you talking about the modern, the modern apartment? The, the apartment that she shares with, with Sharon. Yes. Oh, um, well, yeah, I mean, in a, in a, in a fashion, if you were to go through the film very carefully, um, and soon you'll be able to do that, <laughs> you might see some things. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how did you approach that confrontation scene between Kate and the schoolyard bully? How many takes was that? And did Kate rehearse with her? Of course. <laughs> and, and that, the child that, um, play Johanna, the, the, the child that's supposed to be bullying Petra, uh, was fantastic. She's a really, really strong, strong kid. Is yeah. that scene in some way an acknowledgement of her toxicity and manipulation uh, tactics? Um, you know, I don't want to be reductive. I mean, I, I, I think in the most general sense is she's somebody that likes to, she's a completion junkie. And she, she likes to clear the decks and she likes to clear the decks so that she can get done what she needs to get done. And so she comes home, she's given this task, you know, that, that actually is, would require probably a lot more effort, which mm-hmm. is, you know, let's introduce her to other children. Let's talk to the parents. Let's, but she wants to fix it now because she's got stuff to do, right? So it's really, she's a character driven by her own internal tempo. So, you know, she's always, you know, for instance, like, with Hilder, you know, Hilder and I started working early on, uh, aside from the music, talking just in terms of the tempo of the film, you know, we, we spotted it and said, okay, what is her tempo? Her tempo is 120 beats per minute. Mm-hmm. So we put that into her ear, you know, she, and we always had her moving at the same pace. Well, that's very fast, 120 beats per minute, you know? Um, 
And so there's a sense of propulsion with that character. She, she doesn't have the patience to deal with anything that, that she doesn't really want to deal with. So, um, and just because uh, Kate's 120 beats and Nina is half that, right? If well, they, no, uh, Kate's or, 120 beats, um, uh, or, or Tar's 120 beats, Olga's 60 beats per, per second or per minute rather, sorry. And, um, BPM and, um, and Sharon is much slower than that. Sharon's like 30. Mm. You know, Sharon really kind of, she's always trying to slow her down, really slow her down. And if you feel those scenes with Nina, she's always trying, she's just trying to take her down and calm her down uh, all the time, you know. Amazing. Um, Tar's physical attack of Mark Strong, with the best comb over of all time, by the way, like of all time, uh, is the most heightened moment of the film. How many takes was that? And again, because I heard this interpretation, did that even really happen in her? It was that again, like an imagination of what she wanted to do. That's a very good question. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> how many takes was the Mark Strong thing? I guess like we can answer that. I don't one. know. You know, it's, it's a- funny. I remember this is a problem. You know. <laughs> I, I never understood the math questions. Like I remember being at Sundance, you know, we would all get bored at Sundance where people go, uh, okay, question and answers. And they go, what was your budget? <laughs> and you go, are you watching the yeah. budget? You know, I, I mean, and, but, and, you know, there's been so much made with different directors, you know, Stanley, of course, first and foremost, which is, oh, you do 150 takes or David Fincher, you do 150 takes. Um, I couldn't possibly tell you. Yeah. I mean, it was a very... Um, Deliberately blocked scene, and I don't think it took many. I think the only take that was technically challenging was I had a 36-foot techno crane that I wanted to do uh, the shot where she's coming out from um, from stage right, and and everyone swore we couldn't get it up there. And, and, and finally, we figured out a way to get some hydraulics and get this base up there because it was the only way to actually achieve that shot. So um, that was hard because she's coming right at the camera and that's the way it needed to be done. But it's also a really scary thing when you use, when you have an actor coming toward a, a retractable camera, because sometimes those things stop, Yeah, which means that time stops. <laughs> and it means the actor stops really fast. You know, um, <sighs> This is, I'm, I'm just taking this all in. Uh, is, uh, the the sorry, I forgot her name. The Russian girl Sophie, uh, the actress, uh, the cello. I'm bad at the cello. Yes, the cello. Yes. Yeah. Uh, is she a symbol to show how compulsive, how truly compulsive Tar is? Because she's like not enamored by her at all. Even uh, like she like even after everything's happened with Krista, she asks her to stay in the room, and she's like, "No, I'm gonna go to bed." And then she goes out anyway. Is she a symbol for that example? Yeah, I mean, I think you know they're generational um, symbols like uh, Olga, Max at Juilliard. You know, um, y- you can't be down with the kids. You know, she's she's fifty years old. It's time to, you know, leave childish things behind and um, uh, and and let that generation live their own life. So, but in terms of that character, yeah, I mean, that character is is supremely exciting on on many levels. One is she simply doesn't give a shit. Mm. And and if you're talking about a film whose, you know, whose through line is really about, you know, asking questions about power and how people trade in power and how people benefit on both sides of what they give and take mm. uh, for power. Um, 
and you have a character that seemingly asks for nothing and has the world as their oyster because they're young, they're yeah. talented, they're beautiful, and, and they don't care. You know, for a character like Lydia Tarr, she's at a place where she's used to being spoken to a certain way and serviced a certain way and people that want things from her. And along comes this young person that asks nothing. Yeah. And that's her past, just like Max at Juilliard is her past. That that was her at, at with Olga. That was her at 19. With Max, that was her at 24, trying to push boundaries when she came out of Harvard, trying to make some noise and and did, moving down to the Amazon for her doctorate, not being in the German Austro canon, but she's at a different place in her life. And she's sitting on top of this organization that it's all about transactions. And all of a sudden you see that this window opens and it goes, no, there's actually a real tree grows in Brooklyn, mm. you know? Yeah. And she wants to climb the tree. My final question to you, and this is, uh, has to do with like just how many interpretations this movie has. Someone shared with me that they believed everything that happens before she goes into Staten Island wasn't real and Staten Island is real and after, and that's what she wanted her life to be. This goes with the question, how brave you are and like to do something like this, that's going to have so many different interpretations and lay it all out there. And it, it's, it's, it's such a brilliant piece and it's such a weird question. Like how, like, does that make, how vulnerable does that make you? Are you nervous to put it all out there and say, listen, now all the answers are concrete, take it what you will, and then we'll talk about it later. Well, yeah, I mean, there's intent, you know, behind everything that all all of us did, you know, mm. from from what Florian Hofmeister, my cinematographer, did with the lighting, what Marco did with the sets, what what Monica Willie did, you know, what Bina Diagler, who's absolute genius in terms of the clothes and uh, amongst other things, you know, they, yeah. these are people that came into a conversation with this cast and first and foremost, Kate and, and Nina, Noemi and, and Sophie that, that had to, that had to have an opinion about things. Um, but everyone had different opinions about things and they were allowed to have those opinions. Some people felt really strongly about certain things that others of us didn't. And so it, we actually had to come to some accord in terms of how we approached certain things too. So okay. it felt like there was a possibility for both sides of that conversation, you know? So, I mean, the, you know, the idea behind the film was to spark a really rigorous, you know, dialogue um, and hopefully a ferocious one, you know, where, and, and not, you know, an indifferent one. Well, that you did, sir. Um, are you... Are you gonna make me wait sixty more years? And are you still making the Creed of Violence? I know that was like on the docket oh, at one point. Oh man, I, I don't think so. No. Okay. No, no. Do you have your next project? I know you're gonna do double in two episodes, of double in the White City. No, not that either. All right. Do, what what's your next? When do I get to hear from Todd Field again? I don't know. I have a you know I have a bit of work that I've kind of um, had to put off, and they've been very patient for um, some writing that I'll start hopefully soon. Um, and stay home for a little while. Well, we we love and missed you, Todd Field. We still Thank love you. you. Clayton. And Thank uh, you. please continue. Uh, and you feel free to work with both Kates on your next movie. Throw them together and just see what you know, happens. I, I, it's funny that you say that. I have this idea, you know. Uh, Stop it. <laughs> no, you know, I, I always think of the two Kates a little bit like I, you know, how we all thought about um, De Niro and Pacino before they were in that scene 
you know, in Santa Monica, Kate Manolini's and Michael Mann's Heat. It was, there was, it, we were all waiting to have a scene with the two of them, you know? And um, I think that the Kates have to, they're faded. At some, at some point, they need to work together. Peter Kajowski, it's right there. <laughs> Do it. Do it. Thank you uh, very much, Todd. Thank you, Clayton. That's Todd Field, writer and director of TAR. Distributed by Focus Features, the film is now playing in theaters. Bathroom stalls, showering marines, and flashlights under the sheets. That encompasses A24's newest film, The Inspection. As Ellis French, Jeremy Pope takes the lead in Elegance Bratton's directorial and writing debut, which had its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival. The A24 film, inspired by true events, is a showcase for Pope and full of Oscar clip-worthy scenes. I recently spoke with Pope about his love for Broadway, his upcoming opening alongside Paul Bettany, and being seen in Hollywood. I began by asking him about this latest journey. It's been a beautiful ride. It has, and... I'm just trying to remain as present as I can be. There's so much on the schedule, so many places to be and so many amazing people to talk to. Um, And this is a first for me to have a film where I'm leading in this way. So just trying to enjoy it, you know, and and be present and have fun. Um, So, yeah, but I feel good. Today I feel really good. Yeah. So I got you on a good day. (laughs) You got me on a great day. (laughs) Um, Elegance Bratton making his directorial debut from a script that he wrote. Um, birth of a filmmaker, an auteur. He has such incredible vision. What was it like working with him on this project? That's a story that's so near and dear to him. Right. Um, you know, I think it was a very specific journey that we went on together that required a lot of trust because, you know, this is his first film. This is a film like you said that is so deeply personal to him and you know i'm i'm kind of left with this task to to bring up some hard um truths and some and some kind of unanswered trauma if you will that he's had to just kind of deal with and is dealing with so there just had to be you know a large amount of space that we we created of trust for each other and with each other and kind of hold each other's hand through it and um I'm very proud of him and and happy for him. I think I took this job after reading the script and falling in love after connecting with him, but really just wanting to protect him. And because I just knew that by him being so vulnerable and opening up his heart and his truth and his story to the world, you know, that's that's one of those things when you when you do something like that, when you give yourself away, you can't get it back. And I knew as a black queer filmmaker, you know, that that he was he, he I didn't want him to feel alone and that I wanted him to feel like he had people that championed him for who he who he is. Um, so I'm just very grateful to be on the, the side of us sharing the film and him to be in such great spirits and for people to be receiving his story with love and with compassion, um, because that feels like we, we, we did our job well. And um, that was kind of all I wish wished and asked for and and in for this project yeah what what the film does so brilliantly is 
you know, I, I think on, on the marketing side, on paper, people will see, you know, a gay man going into the military mm-hmm. and, and existing during the time of uh, Don't Ask, Don't Tell. Right. But the crux of everything that exists in the film is rested upon the relationship between Gabrielle Union and yourself right. and, and her character's acceptance of her son's life and not having the rosy narrative acceptance moment that people want people in films want, like this. Yeah. It, it brings real life. Um, how closely did you identify with that, with that part of the story? Cause that's where a lot of the yeah. emotion of the, of the film comes alive. Yeah. I think, you know, for me, like it's been such a journey, a personal journey for me to just, and always still on the journey of just finding self-love and self-respect and understanding my worth, especially in a business where sometimes it doesn't feel like it's serving you and and your greater self. Um, and, and I have my own personal things that have happened in life where I've felt kind of undervalued and mistreated and dismissed because of how I exist in the world and how I show up. So, you know, it is a very real, um, a moment to have a complicated relationship between, you know, a son and his mother, mother and this longing for love and acceptance and wanting to, to be, you know, everything they want you to be. But there's also the piece of honoring yourself and understanding that some of those people in your life that don't respect you, that don't create safe space and environments for you, that it's not your responsibility to serve that because it ultimately doesn't serve you and you walking in your purpose and in your truth. And that's a hard truth that I've had to find in certain family relationships and just relationships in my life that I get to march to the beat of my own drum and I get to say what's what I, what I want and how I want to move through this one life that we get to live and that it doesn't have to be always pain, that there can be moments of love and happiness and you find the people that champion you for who you are, the evolved version of who you are today. So definitely connecting with that journey for French where he goes to boot camp thinking he's going for one thing, yeah. but he ultimately finds self-love and self-respect. And he realizes that it's, it's not me that's the problem, it's you. And it's one of those things that when you're ready to deal with that, there'll be space, mm-hmm. but only when, when you're ready to do that because yeah. I have to continue to take steps forward in this way. So to kind of have that you know, dynamic displayed on screen and then to know in real life Elegance is now on the other side, making this film as a feature film debut for him. His mom is no longer with us to witness that. But I think it's the triumph that he kept going and that it does get better. Yeah. You know, so that that I, I, I respect him and our project for, for giving us a very real compli- complex moment that leaves you wrestled and leaves you, you know, kind of contemplating what that relationship can and will be. Um, there's, there's something, uh, very cathartic about, you know, something you said, you know, uh, when you're ready, giving the space and that I think I've tried to apply in every hot button topic that exists today and, you know, outside of just LGBTQ issues, um, racism in in America, even 
you know, white people trying to understand uh, Latino, black, Asian uh, issues that are going on. And I think it's important that when they are ready to come to the table, that we do allow the space of asking questions and, right. and growth. Have you found, I think that part's always difficult for a lot of people because you're like, we've been here for a while. Right. So, and you don't you, always feel like teaching. Yeah. You know? It's exhausting. It's, it's exhausting. Yeah. It's very exhausting. And, you know, I found myself in a lot of those rooms being the representative of the black and the queer, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes I don't have the strength to represent all of us at the same time in this room. You, you know, can't carry like, for every I single can't, person. You know, and that's something that I've had to personally make grace and space for myself to go. Some days you just don't have that fight in you. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like someone, please take, take, take it up please, for a little bit. You know, you know what I mean? Like help me out here. Yeah. Like it's, it's tough and it's hard and it's challenging and it's frustrating. <laughs> tag me in coach. Like tag team, like yeah. relay race, somebody take this last leg, you know, but mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it is, you know, I, I do think it is important to leave space to have difficult, necessary conversations, conversations of understanding, conversation of misunderstanding. You know what I mean? I think all of that is important um, as far as pushing the needle forward and making people aware. Because when you know better, you do better. Yeah. So sometimes people just don't know. So you have to let them know. Yeah. You know, and that goes for you. For, for so many, for however you identify, but, you know, when you're in a space, letting them know that you're there, this is what you represent, this is what you stand for, this is what you tolerate, this is what you don't tolerate. Yeah. You know what I mean? And vice versa, making space for all of that. Uh, last tough question that I want to <laughs> ask, and then we can move on to more about uh, the Jeremy Popeness of our life. Um, we are ahead of the midterm elections right now where we are coming off the repeal of Roe versus Wade and very well known that if conservatives take uh, the house and other things, they're, they're coming for gay marriage next. Like you just know that that's their next on their agenda. One sad truth that I've, I've realized over my time, you know, it's as someone who's half Puerto Rican, half black and really observing like the one thing that white and black people seem to agree on sometimes not nicely is LGBTQ issues. Mm. That's where I see them both sides having some really hateful rhetoric and not the best representation of humanity. Um, What do you have as a message for a pathway? I'm asking you to solve the problems of, of of everyone, but what, 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 what do you? What can you say as a pathway for people to learn and just be better? Yeah. I, yeah, it's even like a loaded question. But I mean, it's I think it's one of those like open discussion questions because I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't know what the the one answer is. I think there can be a lot of wrong and a lot of right answers to this question. Um, it's true, and I can only talk from my experience of growing up black and queer and the home, you know, this, this kind of idea of masculinity and it's, it's just very complex. And I also grew up in the church, so that's very complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot about community and I talk a lot 
about finding people that champion you and celebrate you and the power of that, the power of gathering with that and having these type of conversations and going, what can we do? How can we show up for our community and for each other? Because we don't have to do any of this alone. You know, so I think as we are moving into the midterms and all of these spaces, it's about having these conversations together that are going, hey, we need to be aware of what what is to come Mm -hmm. and not act like we don't know what's going on and we act like we don't know people's agenda. Or be surprised when it actually happens. You know what I mean? Like the gag can't be that real. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? So it's it's about us showing up and really showing out. You know what I mean? It's about us, us proving that narrative wrong and banding together and... For me, it's just community. It's community building. It's community understanding. It's understanding what a community is. I think we've moved to like this social media understanding mm. of like, oh, my, who I follow. And, but I think there's real work that can happen when you show up in the streets and when you show up to vote and when you show up like in that way and, they, and we're counted and we're seen and you can't avoid us and uh, ignore us. I think that's a start to making sure that these things don't, don't happen in the way that they, they, they seem to be happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's we, we kind of saw that in the pandemic, the way that we showed up in the streets for Black Lives Matter. Yeah. All walks of life were in the streets rallying and protesting and believing for something greater. So while that feels expansive and explosive, sometimes it has to get there and it has to go there so that you can't ignore what it is that we're fighting for and we're believing for. And I feel like our ancestors and so many people have paved the way for us to be able to stand in our freedom and in our liberty and in our choice and in our ideas. So how dare we not, you know, stay committed to that idea of pushing it forward for the next generation to come. Just want to state for the record that uh, Jeremy Pope is 30 years old and five years from being able to run for president. So (laughs) I will, I will, I will, I will (laughs) tell people like, I know what you want to say. We have five more years. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait, we'll, we'll wait for it. We'll hang tight. That's Jeremy Pope, star of The Inspection which hits theaters on November 18th. And that's it for this edition of the Variety Award Circuit Podcast. Drew Griffith edited this episode, and Michael Schneider is the producer. Be sure to subscribe to the Award Circuit Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you download podcasts. Also, head on over to Variety.com and click on the Award Circuit tab to find the latest awards predictions in key races, as well as your daily fix of news, analysis, and reviews. For Jazz Tanke, Janelle Riley, Emily Longaretta, and Michael Schneider, I'm Clayton Davis. We'll see you on the circuit. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.